Hello and welcome back to Off the Record. I'm here today with my good friend Ezra Kyer. Uh, you may know him from his band Morning Glory. He's also played in bands like Indicay, Leftover Crack, and Choking Victim. Um, I wanted to do this because I don't think I'm really taking a new direction. We've always talked about creative process on this podcast, but obviously if you've been paying any attention to what I'm doing, my next book is all about creative process. And because of this, I wanted to have some conversations about this with people who are really good at talking. As you will hear in this, the reason I wanted to have Ezra on is he really, really gets creative process, and I think he's one of the more brilliant people I've ever worked with at it. Um, We've been making records together since 2001, and because of that, I wanted to get his insight on it and let some of his thoughts go out to the world since I think he makes really insanely creative records and I wanted to make sure people hear what he puts into that. So, uh, take a listen to this interview. It's a little long, but I swear to God to you, it is all very, very good and worth it. And when you get done with that, if you have not listened to his band, I highly suggest you go back, go on to Spotify and listen to Morning Glory stuff. Wait one second. I want to tell you first about Noise Creators. Noise Creators is a company that was started by Johnny Minardi, who runs self-titled management, works at Equal Vision as an AR guy, and used to be at Fueled by Robin and myself. I'm a record producer and mastering engineer who's been at it for over 20 years in the punk scene, and I wrote the book Get More Fans, The DIY Guide to the New Music Business, which is one of the most popular books written on how to promote a band in the modern music business. We're here to try to help musicians get with better producers. We can help musicians get a better deal and work with real top talent instead of the guy who just opened a studio down the road. What our site offers at noisecreators.com is a way to get to know all the best producers in the game today. You can browse profiles, listen to Spotify playlists, listen to podcasts, read interviews with them to get to know them, look through bios and discographies and a bunch of other stuff. We also have a great blog where we're helping you get to know the best musicians today. We're profiling the best underground bands that haven't really popped yet and doing lots of other cool stuff. If you want to support Off the Record, it really helps to support noise creators and help spread the word about it. The reason I'm able to keep doing Off the Record is with the popularity of noise creators. So please help spread the word and check out what we do. And if you know bands who are going to go into the studio soon, tell them to look at noise creators before they do. Thanks so much. So let's get into you. So you guys just were uh, released post-war songs, but let's go back a little bit. I think a lot of people know your past and have heard you discuss how you got to that. I'd like to get into where you got to poets and then what's the difference in the thoughts between poets war songs and post-war songs. Okay. Be more specific. Okay, so you didn't make a record for a while as Morning Glory. Um, What were you doing creatively different and how did you get to poets? Um, For the... For the Poets record, mm-hmm. I think I wrote all those songs in about six months. Um, some of them, was, as you probably know, I was still writing in the studio. Mm-hmm. The lyrics definitely were complete, which uh, 
I know that's like a producer's main complaint. Because like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I listen to your podcast like you regularly, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 And it's, so. it's, it's that thing of like everybody gets mad about that. But you, right. it's, it, it's an interesting thing with you because I know you're going to work it out because we've worked together for so long. Right. So you're not like the concern. The concern is when you first start working with the band and then it's like this. But I know in the end it's like you're going to take the time. We also, I mean, I think that's an interesting thing that I've been talking about in my book too is we don't do records with deadlines. Right. Like, yeah, you make a record until it's right, and right. you don't usually, like, I know that part of your process is you're going to do a vocal, you're going to hate it, and you're going to refine it. Right. And... Cause, yeah, because that's the way I work. And yeah. there's no, like, major label breathing down my neck going, uh, this, this thing has to be out, like, in a month or whatever. You know what I mean? It's like... And, I think that's one of the things that, like, on the podcast, when we say, like, God, I hate when this happens, it's because a band has $3,500 and two weeks to record, and we don't make records like that. Like, I feel like Poets, we did over nine months, am I right? Yeah, it was probably. Um, Yeah, if we hadn't have been mixing that at at the same time mm -hmm. as we were recording, we would have been screwed, (laughs) because, you know what I mean? Yeah, and so that's another thing, like, people probably don't know, is that we basically start mixing the second... The second the drums are done. Yeah, like yeah. we're just getting a good rough mix and then just refining that mix along the way so you can react to it Which and is see like what the, you that's do. That's just the best, most unbelievable innovation to yes. come across the studio in like recent years because I remember it being this like, okay, we just like ran this marathon of recording. Mm-hmm. Oh, but it's not over yet. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like now yeah. we got a week... Of like sitting in a room with like the drummer wants to sit in on the mixes and the guitar <laughs> player thinks his solo is not loud enough. You know, everybody has a comment. It's like, no, just put just the engineer in there and like maybe somebody can stand by just like to give notes on like certain things need to be louder here or there. But that's that's it. Let the engineer do his job, you know, but like being able to have him have a like two guys working like on you doing the mixes or, you know, Mike doing the mixes or whatever mm-hmm. was like an unbelievable relief to me. Yeah, you know what you're getting, and you yeah. know what needs to be redone at all yeah. times since it's just getting dropped in. And, like, like part of the thing, too, with, like, recording for me is, like, a lot of the... I feel like I'll, it's true that I go in, like, ill-prepared sometimes, but oh. a lot of the... Uh, I feel like a lot of the stuff that happens in the studio... Um, we'll call it studio magic for lack of a better, <laughs> right? For like, to use an old cliche. Studio magic or Mike's grumpiness. Right. Or... <laughs> but like a lot of times you make mistakes and those mistakes become something like, I took an art class in high school. I think I took one art class in my entire life. It was in ninth grade. Hmm. And I don't even know why I ended up in that art class, but because I'm not an artist, I'm horrible. I can't even draw stick figures. But the, uh, the one thing I learned in that class. Did you, was, did you grow up to draw the logo? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you're I not did. bad. You're not a bad artist. Yeah. That was that was a doodle that somebody turned into something way better. Uh, you know? I see. I see. Yeah. Um, but now the one thing I took away from that class was our teacher always used to say, "Use your mistakes. If you fuck it up, make it part of the art." Mm. That was like one of the most invaluable lessons to me because I would screw shit up all the time. That's really good. You know. And then like he'd be like, "No, you can't erase that. Like, don't use your eraser. Just make it part of the art." So I took that that sort of philosophy with me in music. And like some of the best stuff, like I went in and recorded that one song um, recently at your studio, uh, Speakers in the Sky. Uh-huh, the yeah, best part of that song is this section where I like fucked up the chord and went to the wrong thing. And <laughs> when I played it back, I was like, 
oh, you know what, that chord actually really works, and this is great. And I just sort of like, you know, bumped all the ins the other instruments around that. So like, there's a certain amount of stuff that happens during the process of actually being in the studio and recording that I like to let that like, you know, marinate and develop. So like, for me, going in like 100%, like the songs like this and all the words are written and all that, like sometimes I like to flesh that out a little bit. Mm -hmm. And if you have the extra money to do it, then that's just a luxury sort of, you know? Some people don't have that luxury, but... Yeah, well, I mean, but I think that's the funny thing is, it's like when we talk about the luxury, it, I think it's really bad allocation of resources a lot of the time, is that people are like, all right, I'm going to record this stuff, but I think one of the most important parts of the recording process is hearing it back and reacting to what's uh, malnourished and needs more nourishment. And that's, I think, like a big part of the process that we've done is that you hear a song and then you go, okay, I'm going to add to this. And even going back to the whole world's watching, it's like, you know, you'd sit there, you'd hear it, and you'd figure out those string parts and the orchestrations and the keyboards and stuff like that after the fact a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's definitely a fair amount of like working it out as you go. If I have if I have like you know, if I have the skeleton and the flesh, I don't necessarily need the clothing for the song yet. You mm. know what I mean? Those are like add-ons that are, that are like fun. Plus, you know, you also have like a ton of plugins and mm -hmm. and stuff that I don't even know exist. Mm -hmm. So it's like that to me at the end is like sort of like an, a a bonus icing on the cake kind of thing. Like, oh, let's see what Jesse has mm -hmm. for this part of the song. You know what I mean? So, it's kind of like, it's a whole, to me, it's a whole process. Um, so, to piggyback off this, since we diverted from the original, but like, to go to this, so, music or lyrics first for you, is it usually? Music, almost, well, nowadays, uh, here's what I've learned about songwriting. I'm, I'm convinced, I'm, I'm like 100% convinced that only one set of words belongs to one set of music. So, so, so you're also convinced of destiny for <laughs> for your maid and things like that? Like, or <laughs> I'm curious about this. Um, like, cause like music's always been really easy for me. Like, mm -hmm. it just sort of comes to me. Lots of times it comes to me in my sleep. I'll wake up and a song will be there. Um, I also like try and write songs sometimes, and that doesn't work out as well. It's mm -hmm. so, like I have to sort of wait for them to like come through the ether. Mm -hmm. Like whenever you know the witching hour is, I'll like sit and like tinker around on the piano or like mm -hmm. sometimes stuff comes and sometimes stuff doesn't lyrics have always been a lot harder for me they don't they don't I'm, I can't channel them as well um, but sometimes they will and mm -hmm. like sometimes I'll write a couple pages in like you know 10 minutes or something like that and then what I, f I consider it my job to like match up the words with a set of music and sometimes so sometimes I'll like I'll have a song and I'll have music and I'll be like if the words don't come to me right away for it, then I'll just have to wait for them, because if I force them, they're stupid. Mm. So you're saying also, though, with matching, that you've already written a set of lyrics, and then you're trying to find which set of lyrics that goes yeah. to the music? because lots of times I'll, like, I'll write music, and I'll just, I'll just let it sit, and I won't even try and write words for them. Mm -hmm. And then, like, months later, sometimes I'll, like, have a bunch of words all of a sudden. I'll be like, oh, those words belong to that song that I wrote, you know on the subway when I was going to work on that morning, like, you know, in January. And they fit perfect. They do fit perfect. I so, think that's uh, one of the things people like about your music. And I think that's one of the things that actually, like, I, I've become acutely more aware of this lately and being in realizing how often you have to turn to a band and say that these 
lyrics and music are not working together. Yeah, it's uh, that's why I truly believe it's like only one. Hmm. It's like being, a, it's like you you just putting together a puzzle, sort of, you know. It's like, and I'll do the same thing. Like if if a, if a set of music doesn't arrive for me complete, like it's missing a bridge, or it's like missing a chorus or something, I've given up on trying to trying to find it. I just let hmm. it find me. You know what huh. I mean? It's like, not only does that reduce my stress level a lot, because I'm not like constantly worried of like, ah, where the fuck is the chorus for this song? Mm -hmm. You know, I'll just let it go. And eventually that chorus will appear and present itself. And uh, then all I got to do is, you know, find the right words for it or whatever. But this also comes from the fact that you're constantly writing lyrics down into a notebook. You're also constantly writing songs. So the... Odds of it pairing up are bigger than a lot, than somebody who's just doing like, you know. I always use like like old drive like Jehu as examples. Like they wrote twenty two songs and released twenty two songs. Right. It's like you're writing tons and tons of songs, even though you're putting out tons and tons of songs as well. There's tons that we've never even heard. It's true. I mean, and that's why the that's why it's the books are great because like. So will... so to get into that. Sure. Ezra always has in the studio three notebooks with him. I'd say. About yeah, three. three. Uh, just filled with notes and lyrics. Well, you should you should do more of it. Um, the, yeah, I got these black books from like Blick. Mm -hmm. I used to get them from Pearl Paint. Yes, they're they're just blank pages, and they mm -hmm. got a nice hardcover. They're well bound, and they last forever. And uh, I just I fill one, about one every six months, I'd say, hmm. which is why I keep three in the studio because that's going back yeah. a year and a half. So if I can't find like uh, and I'll just anytime I get an idea or somebody says a phrase to me that I'm like that's a fucking great song title mm -hmm. I like write that down and then if I get stuck at a thing like you know I've had this this bit of music and I and I and the words aren't coming to me it's been like you know it's been 12 months now since I I'll go back into those books because maybe I already wrote those words first mm -hmm. maybe the words came to me first and the music came later yes so yes, I'll yes. go back and I'll find the song title that fits into that set of music like oh yeah that's that's the chorus right there and then, but I have those books as a reference. It's a, it's very like tangible, easy way to look through shit. Cause if I put it in my phone digitally, it'll get lost within hundreds of titles. Mm -hmm. and I won't even, you know, it's small print. Maybe I got a new phone and forgot to yeah. upload all my old shit, you know? I, you know, I do have so. this problem of like, I have so many thoughts sometimes that keeping them in a phone is not the best way to do it. Like a computer is like a little bit more easy for me to find what I'm looking for of the notes I'm taking, but, like, a phone is just, it's too small and too yeah. segmented, whereas a notebook, it's just, like, I'll flip through, and there's something about the visual cue that I'll remember something There's from. something very, like, real about it, mm -hmm. and it's like, you can't doodle <laughs> it's on true. your phone, well, you know what I mean? Maybe, it, maybe, maybe next can. year or two, when, when that uh, new Apple pen comes for the yeah. iPhone. But I don't want one of those things. I want a real book mm. that I can put under my pillow. Mm -hmm. So when I wake up in the middle of the night with like these racing so that's just, thoughts, that's where it is. It's, it's, it, you really do put it on I, your pillow. Yeah, I keep it right next to my head. That's like you know, and, and I think this goes for a lot of like songwriters and people who are just creative or write. A lot of your best ideas come for, come to you when you're in that realm that is right between awakeness and sleep. Mm -hmm. And it's like most of the time, if you're gonna, I think like Mitch Hedberg had like a, a bit about like. I can either get up and if I have a good joke right before I fall asleep, I can either get up and walk across the room, get a pen, turn on the light and write it down, or I can convince myself it's not funny. 
Oh, you know that's I mean? good. That's very it's good. Because like, you're like you're in that zone where you don't want to make any effort whatsoever to get up and write uh-huh. it down. So like, so, along for a long time, I'd be like, I'm gonna make a mnemonic device where when I wake up in the morning and I see that spot on the ceiling, I'm gonna remember what this idea was. And oh, it, it never, never ever works. worked. No. I would always forget. So now I just keep my book by my head with a pen. Strapped with an elastic band, and I write it down. Ah, that's, that's good yeah. too, because yeah, that you're not going to steal the pen. Exactly. You know, we we have that all over exactly. the studio is uh, pens on sho- shoelaces. I I've become very convinced of a thing too that if you don't get as much of the idea out right when you have it, you're going to lose some of the best parts of that totally. idea. And like, I've yeah. even be- gotten to the point that um, even though we have you know. 60 microphones in the studio to record things. It's like the second I have an idea, I just hit record on the voice memo thing for my iPhone, and then I email it to myself so that uh, it goes in the folder. Because yeah, I'm never going to remember that idea fully. And if, like, if we're doing drums, I'm like, oh, the gang vocals should be on that part. When we get to gang vocals two weeks later on a record, I'm never going to remember that we wanted to do a gang vocal there. The other thing that I do is I, I always try and pick a title straight away. Mm. Like... If I title something like song number one or like idea two or like, you know, random thought number five, so that that will go. I will never look at that again. So is it like kind of like an emotional filing cabinet type thing or like? Um, yeah, I mean, I will. What I'll do is I will. Uh, if I am really stumped for a title, I will pick the first line. OK. Of of the words. You know, that's convenient. It's uh, iPhone's notes now does that for you. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I'll do that in my, my book too. But most of the time what I really try and do is like, if I'm like, if I have a chorus or something, I'll do this thing that I call voweling, where you mm. just like, sort of like, you sort of like, mm and ah, yeah. the, the sound that is supposed to be in that place. You know, and I do that, I've done that a lot in the past too with like words like, I don't know what set of words goes here, but I know that it needs like a, an O, an I, and an A. Mm. You know? Like huh. that's, that's the sound. That, and I think... I think I actually used that in The Whole World's Watching. Uh-huh. There's a line in there that goes, uh, you know I was born against the OIA. That is not yeah, I do remember that. what I say, right? Ah. So I was like, I knew OIA had to go there, but it didn't mean anything, so I had to mm-hmm. make something up. That's so, funny. Yeah, so... so I also I wonder like, how many kids uh, <laughs> have just thought that's something they don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah, it's just... Later on, I, I made those, like, you know, initials into, like, you know... Others, intolerable, blah, blah, blah. You know, like, I just made some shit up. But it's just because those vowels needed to be there. So sometimes I'll, if I don't have a title, I'll just, I'll vowel out the word that is supposed to go there. Hmm. And I'll spell a word around that. Huh. You know? And that's then I'll use that for the title. That's funny. I'd never think of music like that, so that, that's really interesting. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of a, it's another one of those, like, this is my, my weird train of thought where I'm like, this needs to be like this in this place. You know what I mean? It can't be other any other way. Huh. Which, like, of course, we all know is there's, like, infinite possibilities, so that's not true at all. But to me, it's that way. You know yes. I mean? No, no, that's so, what matters is the way you perceive it in your head. Right. Is it's got to... You know, like, I, I, a lot of, like, what I've been writing about is that, like, the first person you have to make happy with your music is you because you have no control over anyone else and all you can be guided by is that. And... If that's how you think, you got to just go with it. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm a big believer now that like, and I feel so good about this too because like I used to really try to write songs like oh, I'm gonna write a song today. This is what I'm gonna do, you know? Like 
I'm a songwriter, and that's what I do. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, well, to treat it like a job thing, that right? Exactly. Else you do, which I, I'm like, I, I'm actually like less of a believer every day. I work on this book more. Right. So you, so you know, like yeah. you're creative. So you're like, but then I was like, I would, I would, you know, I'd write some song and it would be shit, you know, mm -hmm. and I'd just be like, why did that not turn out the way I was hearing it? Or, mm -hmm. you know, like, uh, and then I realized that you don't actually write the songs. You just, they're already out there. Mm -hmm. Like, you just got to wait for like, cause if you try and write a song, chances are it's not going to work. If you sit down with the intent to write, most of the time it doesn't work out. Good songs are already written. All the mm -hmm. good songs write themselves. Sometimes they write themselves in a matter of minutes. Well, so, so like science has been telling us now that what really happens is you get some sort of inspiration at some point, and then there's a back of our mind process where we're incubating and we're actually making connections in the back of our mind. That's why ideas pop into our head so randomly, is that there's this process that we don't see of brain plasticity going around and figuring out this thing and that's why we always have these things like where we have these like why did i realize that and then particularly when incubation comes to epiphanies is when we're in a semi-distracted state so that's why sleep works so well that's why walks right. work so well huh. is because you're actually thinking of something else and then all of a sudden this pop happens because if you're too deep in thought, it's never coming to you because you're actually thinking about something else and your mind's not incubating. But when you're in this semi-state where the mind can do two things at once, all of a sudden, there you are. It's funny because I remember you telling me that mm -hmm. when you started the research on your book, you mm -hmm. said the one thing that was coming up over and over again mm -hmm. was the fact that you're most creative when you're doing something else. Yes. Right? It really is the so truth. So like, yeah. So Something else that's not too involved. Right. So Something like, light. Yeah, like, you know, boring email, you know, a walk, Which shopping. Which at first I thought you, know. you were just saying that as an excuse so that you could, like, multitask while you were mixing you know our record. Really, you know what's really funny is I used to, when I used to watch <laughs> other people do it, I used to get mad at them. So to give people a, a thing with this is that <clears throat> I often will look at my phone after I've listened to a song too much. I will read Twitter because it gives me a semi-distracted state that, I don't listen too hard and then all of a sudden some things come to me that I didn't catch when I'm totally attentive. And it looks like a scam. And Steve Albini does the same thing who yeah. you also work yeah. with. Um, is that he plays words with friends all day while he records, apparently. Yeah. And it is a thing. Yeah. Science proves it. That yeah. semi-distracted is You're thing. right. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. This whole time I thought you were just ripping us off. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah. so, so to, to get back to the what you were saying a little bit about how it does come to you you did some work in the past that does that but I think it's a forcing thing of forcing that to come out when it's not fully incubated is the problem yeah and I think um, for some people when like the doing it as a job thing works for them it is like the thing of that they're like they're doing something but that's more of the incubation is that they did some work and then later that's going to come and it's going to bring something out. And I do think that there's like something to be said for like, we also can't underestimate the fact that you are, do write, do tons of song ideas before this comes, you write tons of lyrics down, just eventually all that work manifests itself into something that's a song. Yeah. I think, uh, that, um, there's, there is something to be said for just, just doing it. And mm -hmm. like, because writing, like if you, you know, especially like creative writing, you know, mm -hmm. and painting, things yeah. like that. That takes practice. Mm -hmm. Like you gotta get good at your craft. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, any and any time 
you know, you write a song, you always think it's better than your last one. Yes. Most, most of the time. You know what I mean? Um, so it's like there's a certain amount of time and effort that goes into just just honing your craft and getting good at it. You know, it's, I think it's the same thing for like writers and painters probably as well. You know? Yes. Like it's just something you get better at all the time. So is there is a certain like, oh, just shut up and do it and stop waiting for them to like, you know, yeah. channel through the universe or whatever. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and waiting for everything believe. to be perfect and uh, yeah. writing all this yeah. stuff. And, uh, you know, I'm just as I'm just trying to make the that. point that like, yeah, I've listened to thousands of interviews with like songwriters and, yep. like, and they all say the same thing. Like they all call it something different. Like, like, you know, I think Neil Young calls it like waiting at the fishing hole and, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, Chris Martin calls it like, uh, you know trying to catch a fly or whatever. It's yeah, like catch has, the big fish yeah, or like, with yeah, the David like, Lynch book, all yeah, that. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, so everybody always says the same thing and I've found it to be the same in my case as well is that, like, the good songs. And I remember, like, one of my one of my very, very first memories was wondering, and I remember asking my mom this, I was like, aren't haven't all the songs in the world been written already? And, like, how do people keep writing songs, you know? It's, you know what's funny is I have this thought still. Uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> like, I'm just like, how is it that we're still coming up with like yeah, new things? That was one of my first memories. Yeah, that's I was funny. Asking her that, I was like, you know, like I could just couldn't believe that all the songs, all the songs that have been written in the world, haven't they all been used up? And like, of course, she couldn't answer that. <laughs> like, come to find out years later, she, did, she didn't know. answer. Well, there's a lot of bands who are just playing the Ramones songs a little bit faster each year. No? <laughs> <laughs> Which uh, is my thought yeah. sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I mean, and essentially they are recycled, but, you know, you can keep making awesome songs out of the same 12 chords over and over, you know? Yeah, yeah, It's like, but, you know, the songs, they have all been written. It's just a songwriter's job to, like, pull them out of the, pull them out well, of the yeah, universe. It's, it's like, like they are already, you know? I, 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 I've come to think that there's, like, also this evolution of emotion. Um, so, like, in the book Where Good Ideas Come From, he talks about how, like, you can't make an iPhone when we haven't even made a flip phone. And so, like, there's this constant thing of that. Even if you pull out an iPhone, people be like, all right, that's too much for me. Like, I can't deal with this yet. That you need gradual steps towards things. I think, like, with music even, it's just like that thing of, like, you know, we keep seeing that everything gets a little bit more faster or, like, there becomes a harder groove or, like, there becomes, like, more volume or more dynamics like when Nirvana introduced how quiet to loud, which was more than the Pixies. I think if you had heard that before, it would have been a little too extreme if they had done that three years earlier before the Pixies opened up that door. I think it's yeah. just that thing where we keep having there these small doors. There is a larger cultural evolution, isn't there? Yeah, I think like it's more just like the door gets open and we see a new thing, and then we're like, oh, that's okay. Like I can do this, I can do this, and it's just the same thing of like... You know, Skrillex's bangerang would have been too abrasive five years earlier. Right, right. There is definitely like a. That's why I love that book, Steal Like an Artist, because like uh-huh. basically what it's saying is like every artist from the dawn of time has yes. stolen from the previous culture's art. Mm-hmm. We cannot build a building with no foundations, so it's okay to steal. Yes. You know, like steal like an artist. If you're gonna, you know, make it's, it great, it's, change it a little bit. Just put your signature on it. Well, let's put your signature on it and try to do better than who you're stealing right, from. Like, right. I think that's the the biggest problem with like teenagers is that they can't see that they're just making a bad version of this, whereas you have to try to make a better version. A better of what version. Yeah. Did. Yeah. And I think that that's yeah. Would give a little bit. Yeah, 
gives uh, an interesting style to and it. And by the way, I lo- one of my favorite episodes of uh, Off the Record, mm-hmm. your old podcast, was... Well, yeah, um, but, but, but this is probably going to be an Off the Record episode since I'm doing, doing new episodes yeah, now. So, so let's, let's, let's not, not call it old. <laughs> um, we're definitely uh, off your, your usual format. Right yes. Um, Loudness Wars. Yes. Was one of my favorite mm-hmm. episodes. That to me was like a very informative sort of... Um, episode and I, I didn't realize that shit can be too loud oh yeah you know oh, yeah. like so i started listening to records after i, I listened to that like you know just a being them mm-hmm. and uh you're right some of them are just like whew. listen to death magnetic to it next to a song of even the remastered master of puppets and it's like oh my god like this record's ruined it's totally really by it. I actually don't think death. I would just rewatch the. Uh, you know, they made a making of Death Magnetic, and uh, you're talking about the Metallica record. Yeah, right? yeah. Because well, they, you know, they make a making of on every fucking record. Right, right, yeah. Of um, and like, you really do sit there, like, wow, there's like really interesting thought and consideration in these songs. Like, they really didn't half-ass it. Like, there's a great debate at one point where Lars and James are talking about how they really want to do the quiet chorus thing, like where it's the loud verse and the. And you're seeing like all this consideration. And, like, when you really listen to that record, like, I tried to, like, really take it in, and it's like, this is good. The fact that there's no dynamics makes it not Metallica, because Metallica is about dynamics. Yeah, it's funny. I was thinking about, uh, I was thinking about this the other day, because um, I was, you know, a lot of times you ask your, um, your guests mm-hmm. what their, like, you know, their favorite producers, their favorite records were. Yeah. And I was thinking about, like, uh, um... And justice for all. Like, uh-huh. To me, that wasn't that was like, that was like an innovative moment in in mixing and mastering because mm-hmm. there was no bass on that record. Yep, yep. And yet it was the only record that you could put on, that would make everything in the room just vibrate. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? It's I don't just know how they did insane. it. To this day, I don't know how they did it. And then as soon as they brought in Bob Rock, mm-hmm. they just they fucked it all up. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, like, it's, it's funny because we say they fucked it all up. I think that there's merit to the blackout. Like, I liked the blackout. It was amazingly yeah. produced. There's yeah. no doubt the kick sound yeah. and amazing. The snare yeah. was unbelievable. They layered it like 27 times or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I missed the, the, the production or unproduction yeah. of Justice. You know what I mean? Like, because they did that themselves, you know? It, it's true. And, like, I think that there's this thing that people, like, you know, like, it's the lesson I think, like, we now don't hear, like, these two Pro Tools records as much. And I think people are starting to learn that, like, a perfectionism can go too far and suck the life out of things. And, like, I do think they had a... I actually think Master of Puppets is the best happy medium because I think that there's even more polish to that than there is in Justice for All. And, like, the sound is more realized, but... um, They did do a good job on that record. Yeah, and that's the arrangements. Like, I think that that's their pinnacle... Yeah, I think it's about. It takes so much thought into what's your perfect amount of polish, and I can even seg this into something about you. Is that like I thought what was really interesting that we did in pre-write? I don't think anybody's aware of this, but so poets and the whole world is watching. We tracked the vocals together. Traditionally, me right sitting there going. I think you could do that better, da 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 right. da you know, your S was a little long. You know, standard recording procedure, but war psalms and post-war psalms, you did the vocals pretty much on your own. I'd come in and listen and be like, all right, you know, maybe that worked. Right. You should take another stab at that. Um, 
I think what's interesting is I actually enjoy some of the more rawness of what you brought on those records, whereas I think I'm generally trying to be like, okay, let's get the best, most perfect version of all this, but I think that the rawness on that actually fits the songs a little bit better from you just slaving away and yeah, essentially the, um, doing your demos uh, on your own and drafting that stuff on your own. Yeah, that that is like a, an interesting thing to me because like I know you pro- talk to producers a lot on this show mm-hmm. and like um, as as a musician and like a sometime producer mainly on my own stuff mm-hmm. I still am unclear on what a producer's role is I think, <laughs> I think at you explained it to, I think you told me this years ago mm-hmm. you were like well sometimes all the producer does is walk in and light candles uh-huh. no, right that's true. it sort of set the mood yep but like um um, I think a producer's role is to get the best performance out of an artist, isn't it? Isn't that so true? I, I, what I like to say is fill in the blanks where there's deficiency. So, like, if somebody... Like, here's a great example is, like, when we started doing Poets, we were having a lot of discussions about guitar sound, and then eventually you're kind of, like, getting fatigued by it. I have to be like, no, 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 no. You have to keep staying with me. You have to keep choosing right. this guitar tone like don't give up because we're having option paralysis don't give up because we're doing this it's yeah it's it's like i I think it's a lot of the time is it's saying this is going to be a breakdown and uh this is we got to keep going ahead or you don't know this so i'm going to just figure out what we do with this right um i think that the uh there was something that when we recorded the the horrors watching and um the poets record I think I prefer that method because I would find myself dissecting like the vocals a lot more when there was mm-hmm. no one else present in the room. Mm-hmm. And most of the time I would nail it. When I, when somebody else is present, I'll nail it in the first three takes. Mm-hmm. You know? If I if I don't have somebody else there like watching over me, being like, oh, that was good enough, man, let's move on. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I'll be there like ten takes deep, like I can get this. I really can, but it's just really it's just getting worse. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? And then I'll like end up coming back to it and I spend a lot more money a lot more time doing it that way where if I had just paid the extra money to have somebody else there um, hitting the record button I probably would have uh, saved money in the end you know what I mean uh, I mean but, it's funny though because like also like you have a unique vision so that was one of the only reasons I'm like alright I'm still going to put my name on this at the end of the day <laughs> despite like and like you hear your vocals a certain way and I think that it's an interesting thing of that there is always this balance of like saving the artist from their self and, you know, uh, being there to pull them out of it. And then also the thing of like, are you fucking up their vision and what makes them special? Like it's right. the same thing. Like I think we get into a lot on the Noise Careers podcast of like a lot of producers don't want to write for the musicians because then it just starts sounding like them. And like, right. you know, do you, do you find it difficult to like find the balance between like, um, I don't know like, guiding a band and, like, overstepping the boundaries of what they consider to be helpful, you know, like... So, it is one of those things that you're always, like, putting off yours. Like, I always joke that it's kind of, like, dating, like, that it's, like, you know, you go out on the date and it's, like, hmm, is this girl gonna be upset if I try to take her home tonight? Or is she is she one of those girls that's, like, <laughs> I want you to kiss me on the first right. date, the second date we might get into some heavy petting, and then the third date I'll go home with you. It's like, you gotta always figure out what somebody wants, but like, what I actually find the the worst is like when a band's like, I want you to write the songs for us, because then it's like, 
Okay, are they entering... Did they really say that? We just did one, and it was so bad. The band why would you... This seems so strange to me. Because I wanted to experiment with it. No, um, why would they want someone else to write their Because they just want to be big. And they just... The, by any means necessary. An yeah, and they're, and they're like... And... They're going to tons of producers going, like... You know, I want to talk to them about, like, what happened last time. You guys worked with a great producer, and they're like, Oh, well, we wanted more writing. And it's like, okay, well... We're gonna do this, and then it's funny. Like huh. you know, a friend of mine produced the next things, and they just literally wrote songs uh, all the way for them. Like literally, came to them and was like, "Okay, here's the three songs we wrote for you. Now you just have to play them." Really? And it's just that to me That's is so the crazy, more man. treacherous territory than I can figure out how to stay out of the way, and I can use. I mean, my biggest, I think, MO2 is that, like, anything I see you got covered and you have a vision for, I'm going to get out of the way and let, try to just get the best version of that vision. But when it's like, all right, I don't know what I want here, I'm going to just assume. Like, the same thing, like, you know, when we were trying to find drum sounds, I can't remember if it was on Poets or War Songs, it's like, it was a little too slick. And you're like, dial it back, give me more raw. And it's like, you need that feedback because I'm trying to just assume what we want here. Right. See, here's why I find it that's so crazy is because you said something to me once years ago mm -hmm. that just stuck with me, and it was that melody is something that is ingrained in every individual. Mm -hmm. Every individual has their own sense or taste. It's really taste, right? Or taste, yeah. Of yeah. Like what melody should be like, which is why you know bands like No Effects, all their mm -hmm. songs sound the same yeah. because like he's got that that one sense of harmony melody that just comes to him over and over and over again mm -hmm. and you know somebody else will have their own sense or taste of melody so like the fact that a band is like hey will you write this song for yeah, me? yeah yeah it just, just it, 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 it sounds the same and like it, it really is that thing of like over and over and over again like you can maybe contribute 10% but like the harmonies are all going to sound the same because like to some people a third sounds great on everything and then to some right. people a fifth sounds right. great on everything and it's like you just get these things. It's where it's totally, like, yeah, it's totally a matter of taste. I did this. Uh, um, I did like a guest spot on Franz Nikolai's. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I remember, I remember. Right? Yeah, yeah, you did like some guitar and stuff like that. Uh, I did a little guitar, yeah. and I did this like uh, the end of one of this, these songs where I put on this like uh, it was sort of this like epic kind of ending thing, which I'm really good at, mm -hmm. and uh, um, I thought it was brilliant. And uh, and it, it pretty much was, except that when he sent the, the mixes back to me, he didn't think it was so brilliant because he like he took the whole thing down in the mix and put this other like lead vocal over the top that I <laughs> I wasn't a big fan of, you know. Uh -huh. I was like, you destroyed the best part of the song, but like you know, to him that's yeah, you know, it was amazing. But it's like that's that's just a difference of like you know taste. Uh huh. It's like. Uh, it's all sort of ingrained, you know? <laughs> and I, I think that that's one of the things, too, is, is like, we, we've been kind of getting into it on some, like, recent episodes, is that, like, you have to get to know the artist's tastes, and, like... Right. You know, for you and I, we go back so long that's pretty easy and come from a similar place. I mean, you know, and the funny thing is, is then, obviously, too, there was the thing of that when we, you and I first started working it, it's like, I was a fan of your previous band, so it was easy to understand some right. things. Right, right. So, um... But, like, even, like, I can remember, like, it was a funny thing. So the first record, for people who don't know, that we did together was Indicate Kill Whitey. That's right. We did, <laughs> we did that one together, right? Yes, yes. Oh, um, God, that was such a mess. 
But, like, it was the funny thing of, like, depending on who showed up each day, the influences were totally different because Squirt would right. come in and say, we sound like this, and then Jimmy would come in and say, we sound like this, Duh. Paul would come in and then you'd come in and it'd all be different. I just remember having to, like, go in after, like, two or three days worth of recording and redo all the guitars because I hadn't been using a tuner or something. Oh, like yeah, 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 yeah. That, so that was, you. so you guys recorded the record first with Mitro. And That's then right. I came in and kind of... Fixed everything. Yeah, basically yeah. did a lot of editing and yeah. uh, a lot of redoing things to try to get it up to snuff. And uh, what do you call it? But yeah, I do remember yeah, that that was, that was a, a thing, that, that you that had to redo epic, all the r- rhythms. Epic uh, disaster. <laughs> hey, you know what? There's very few records that came out in 2001 where you go onto Spotify and see that many listens still. Probably. Really? I'm so, surprised because I've never listened to it. Really? No. I have it. I have it. I don't even know what songs are on there. I don't, I swear. Well, that's funny. You, yeah. you, you, you know, one of the things that I think you and I always get along about is um, we're both not the most nostalgic people. Like, we do like things in the present right. tense. And, like, yeah, we were having true. this text exchange the other day. Like, you sent me a meme. You're like, you're the only person I know who likes yeah. music today. And you are. You and I are always searching for that new thing. It's true. I don't. I rarely listen to music that's over two years old, I'd say. Mm. I'm always listening and looking for new bands and new music out there. And I think that that's the the opposite of a lot of people is a lot of people just live in the like, this is what I liked, this is what my heyday is. And I think, you know, we're always trying to find new inspiration and find what's... Yeah. And it's tough. I just I find mean, it we, insulting when people say that music's not good anymore. Yeah, I you agree. You know what I mean? I like, agree. dude, you're just not digging deep enough. You're not you know? you're not putting in the work. Like I always yeah. I say something about myself that like I put in I listen to more music to not like it than any human on earth cuz I scour every week the new releases and just go this is fucking terrible. This is terrible yeah. till I find something that's good. Most of it's horrible, but there's yeah. always one thing that you're like, "Wow, this is amazing. Where did this band come from? I've never heard of them before." And this is like great new music. There's also a thing too that um so like Science tells us that um, if we talk about music, what we like being what's emotionally resonant to us. Like so, aside from music theory nerds, you who just are like, oh, I love the composition on that thing. And if you're listening to music to fulfill your emotions, you need more emotionally resonant stuff when you're going through puberty. Now that you know we're pushing forties, yes, things like that. You know, the level we need emotional resonance is just not as high. And so it becomes harder to find things that, like, are really compelling to us. So I never thought of it that way. Yeah. You're probably right. Yeah. I think that that's the thing, too, is, like, it's just, like, also people's priorities slip that finding new music is not something they're going to prioritize really highly um, all day. And, like, I kind of have no choice. And then it's also forced on me that bands come in every week going, have you heard this record? And I'm like, no, I mean, you're not right, right, right. So, <laughs> yeah. and it, yeah. it just becomes a thing over and over again. So it's a little easier for me in that case. But I, I, I think it's interesting that you have not been nostalgic about going back and... Uh... Listen to the Indicator record? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Now, you know, the only thing I remember about that record, besides fixing all the fucked up guitars, was that we did the vocals in, like, three days or something. Well, and then one of those days was supposed to be September 11th, if you remember. Oh, that's right. You were on your way to my parents' house 
and we had to cancel because That's right. the yeah, fuck is because I remember going upstairs. My father says your session's canceled today, and I was like, "Are you trying to tell me I can't record here, you <laughs> fucking asshole?" And then he's like, "We looked uh, out the window, the news, and the, man, yeah, yeah, like the the you know, like my parents' house is on a mountain that you could see the city, and you just saw the fucking flames." It was like, "Oh, okay, I see why the session's canceled." There's uh, there's only one record in all my years of like making records that I've gone back and listened to, uh, as the War Psalms record. Huh. Every like once every couple months I'll put it on just to on vinyl, mm-hmm. spin it once, be proud of what I did. I thought that was an amazing record, you know. That's funny because that's not that old, and no, yeah, that's the one you're going back. And so why not poets? Uh, I just I I love I think the I think the mastering on the War Songs record I think the sounds on the War Songs record were like we really nailed it mm-hmm. like and I was proud of that um, and not only did we really nail it but we did it in like you know in not that long either it wasn't like yes. we were sitting there like pining over the right guitar sound it was just like we picked one it was the right sound the first time mm-hmm. and we did it and we did it fast and I thought the whole record was cohesive and mastered well and mm-hmm. um, it ran together really nicely, and uh, I enjoy listening to it because it's, it's like makes me happy that after all those decades of, <laughs> of work, I got one record that I thought was amazing. I, I say you know? that you know, it took me nine years of full time producing to find one record I could listen to. Really, nine years. Like every record I did for the first nine what years. Record? You gotta uh, tell me now. This band called Bear Colony I did, that was the okay. first one that I don't, like, with synchronous. There's some records now, like, I can put up, like, so I have a shuffle thing uh-huh. that I have on, like, around the house. Like, if I'm alone and just doing things and I'm in the mood to hear music, I have, like, a shuffle that has, like, right. my favorite songs and some records I've done. And so, like, that NDKO record will come on. I don't sit there going, wow, I really love the mix on this record. Right, right. But I go, you know what, this record's fun, I like the songs on it. Um, and the same thing with, like, right. Whole World is Watching and... Um, but like, I don't have that thing of like, I really nailed it until nine years in. Really? Yeah. I never, I never feel good about it. Yeah. I always say like, be careful what you, what you track and record and what you say. Cause like eventually like that's a permanent record of, you know what I mean? I know. And it's, it's so weird too. Cause like, I have to have this discussion with bands. I remember having this discussion with bands in like 2009. I'm like, you guys don't want to say bitch in this song. You don't want to call her a bitch. You don't want to call her any names right. like this. Right. Like, the girls are getting really on it. And now if you did that, like the way the culture is, it's like you're going to be expelled from the conversation. Yeah. Like, people are not tolerant of that. And, you know, not complaining. <laughs> like, I'm glad that we're treating women with respect. I'm just saying, I had to coach this. And there's just a thing of like... You gotta be careful what you say because it is gonna happen yeah. for. I have even taken that to uh, fashion over the years of like I, I, I've I've done a pretty good job of not being too embarrassed of what I wear in pictures. <laughs> right, right. No, you always dress in something classic. Yeah, that way it doesn't. You don't have that. You're not rocking that mullet. Uh, I, uh, it, uh, you know, there is pictures of me in fifth, gra- fifth, fifth grade with the mullet, though. <laughs> fifth, grade, fifth grade is acceptable. It's okay. It's if you're in high school, and then it's, then it's beyond the realm of. Now I'm always telling people like, dude, one day. 
this music, whole music thing might not work out for you and you're going to have to get a job in accounting and uh-huh. they're going to look at all the shit that you recorded behind <laughs> your back and they're going to realize you had this song where you're just cussing out women and calling them bitches and like... This is coming from a guy who is in a band that talks about shooting cops. Hey, that's how I know. That's how I know. <laughs> Don't you think it's like the big joke at iHeartRadio that... Is know, it really? Oh, the cop clear channel? The, the clear channel yeah. fuck off is like the first So track. we should give some context to this. Right that one of your side jobs is that you work at iHeartRadio's theater. theater. Yeah. And Leftover Crack, your former band, had a song Clear Channel Fuck Clear Off. Clear Channel Fuck Off. Which, I, <laughs> by the way, let me just say, I, I did not write that anyway. I wasn't yes. even on that song. That wasn't yes. one of mine. But it was on the record. Yes. And when I, when I started there, people figured out pretty quick, like, you know, that I'd been in bands, mm-hmm. you know? Really? I can't, uh, no one could tell by looking at you? <laughs> people just, you know, like, I'm working with guys who are, like, my age or younger. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, they knew. Uh-huh. They fucking knew. And it was, I would go in the control room and it would be a big joke to them that, you know, we had this song called Clear Channel Fuck Off and essentially I was working for the enemy, you know? Yeah. Uh, the, uh, I, I, I think we all have that moment of at some point we, we, we start working for the enemy. I remember yeah. when, when the, we had to build the studio we're in now. I did a Christian rock record. Like, with literal, like, songs with choruses, like, Jesus Hold Me Close. That's awesome. And wow. it was, like, you know, as, like, for people who don't know me, like, a lot of people would say, like, I'm the most avid reader of atheist literature they know. <laughs> I'm, like, an atheist book-reading Bible thumper. And uh, that was a real uh, tough one for me. And like sometimes we just sometimes, go. Sometimes you gotta suck it up. And yeah, you get just where get the money is, you know. Yeah, like, you, you got 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 to get your means to your end. Yeah, yeah, and totally. I mean, you know. I think I did one band. I, I mixed a record for one band that I made fun of for years, um, because it was just like one of those moments where it was like, I do this and I get ahead and I get some money to take off some time to get this book done, or I keep my pride and I don't have much of an ego, so my pride went out the window. You know, eventually, like, you know, especially with the way that the music industry is today. Yeah. It's like, those big checks don't roll in anymore. I don't it's know just... anybody that, like, is a successful musician that just lives on royalties. Like, everybody that I know over the years, besides maybe, like, the boys in No Effects, who, like, run a record, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, they also have the thing that they have 20 years of putting out consistent records so that those royalty checks are good enough right. that it's like... But even they had to, like, make drastic cuts a few years ago and, like, mm-hmm. knock their staff down and, you know, move their offices and all that stuff, you know. The music industry just isn't set up anymore no. for, you know, for paying out bands, which, <clears throat> which is fine by me. I'm, I have to say I'm happy. I'm fucking ecstatic with the way that the new music industry is. Mm-hmm. I watched that show Vinyl. Oh, yeah. So I only got three episodes in okay. before I couldn't like, take it anymore. So the, first, the first hour of it just made me so mad. <laughs> you know, like, I was just, like, so glad that the music industry isn't like that anymore, that the tools that we have that now are at are easily at every person's disposal to use in privacy of your bedroom mm-hmm. if you want to, you know? It's like, it's no longer this, like, oh, I got to get a record contract with some bigwig who's, like, on cocaine and just blowing mm-hmm. all of our money on, you know, airplanes and jets and ridiculous shit and jewels that, like, we never see any of the money. Like, yeah. you know, the music industry just used to be so fucked. 
And now it's actually in the hands of the artists, which it's I think true. is great. And one of the worst scenes in that show or the first episode is like when he's like, no, play the kinks. Right. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's yeah, brilliant. and it's just like, no. This actually is the worked thing. on that show for a minute. Did you? Yeah, yeah. It's brilliant. Um, and it's like, it's that thing. And like, that is the thing that ruined it. And like, you know, I think you're a clear example of... Imagine we had a shitty label when we did The Whole World Is Watching and then they heard the string parts and things like that. It's like, think about, you're a punk band. Make a record like Leftover Crack and Choking Victim. Right. Yeah. You know, that would have <clears throat> been, been the answer is suck, yeah. out, suck out what makes it special and what people yeah. look back on as saying like, wow, this was one of the most interesting things happening in punk at this time. Yeah. No, people always ask me how I feel about the state of the industry, and they're always surprised by my answer. Mm-hmm. But, like, you know, yeah, like, uh, well, how do bands make money is always their follow-up question, you know? Yes, well... well <clears throat> you buy tickets to their concert, and you get a t-shirt on the way out. Really, it's true. You know I, I mean, mean, like, literally, I'm, like, I, I always joke, uh, since we're in my home now, it's like, uh, what my home is and what I wear at home is a bunch of shirts from bands I would never wear in public. Right. Because, like, this shirt yeah. looks terrible, but I love this band. Dude, no, I gotta, I'm gonna write a song that just says, just, just called No More Band Shirts, Please. <laughs> and, it's just, and it's just the thing, is most band shirts are terrible, but I want to give you money after yeah. I'm so high oh, from you're singing. You're wearing yeah. a pup shirt, and I love that band. Yeah, right. uh, it's, it's, it's that funny thing of, and, you know, I wasn't gonna give it away, but this shirt looks terrible. Look, <laughs> it's a bad, bad Design. It's a horrible design. It's a horrible design. I wear it around the house. But you know what? It it got them one step further in their in their gang. And I don't mind. I really truly don't mind paying fifty dollars for a ticket for a band that I really like because I know that they're not getting money from anywhere else. How about the seventeen hundred dollars to see Guns N' Roses? Fuck that. <laughs> I wouldn't pay seventeen to see them. I, see, see, this is the thing. I really, I really wanted. Would. I really wanted to go, and when I saw it was seventeen hundred for four seats, I was seriously? like, seriously, get the fuck out. Because I, I was gonna buy, I was gonna buy my childhood best friend uh, right. a ticket, and I was like, thirty four hundred dollars in checkout. But see, you like, know what's fucked about that is that like the band's not getting that money. Ticketmaster's getting. Oh yeah, that Ticketmaster's money. getting a lot. Of it's that like money. Ticketmaster has their own scalpers yes. buying their tickets. But did you to see resale? It's fucking ridiculous. Did you see the Attorney General of New York though? Is like literally, it's eminent charges pressing. You know really? Oh yeah, like so huh. he's like a king. Preparar is like a king of leaks. Right before, like, you know, if you watch that Showtime Billion show, it's like the whole part of the game of being an attorney general is you're leaking to the newspaper, like, this is about to come because you want all the press that you uh, crack down to make uh, your run for governor one day. And so, like, so much of this is a press tour for your future political aspirations. Right. And he's totally doing this because he's going to run for governor after Cuomo on the fact that he returned everybody's money to tickets and drove ticket prices down right. and get, got it back to being a place that it does. So I think that that's going to be a really interesting thing. Wow, that is interesting. I can always count on you for the latest. Because <laughs> I don't, well, well, I don't well, well, follow that, that I, stuff. I re- read too much Twitter. All right, well, let's that's get good. back into you. One of the things I, I thought, thought that was already... You can always close. talk about me. It's good. <laughs> um, that was always interesting that you do is... Um, I remember when we were making Poets, like you specifically talked about this, like not wanting to hear other people's music to get influenced right. by it. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, that's an interesting thing, man. Like, as as a person who you are very involved in the music industry, have you Mm -hmm. ever tried to not listen to music? So I have an easy thing of that, and this is another thing that bands get really freaked out about when I do, is we'll be making a rock record, and I'll be listening to dance music the whole time. Ah. And 
<clears throat> you'll, you'll switch it up. You'll change it. I'll listen to something else, but yeah. I also find that um, the th- things I would bring to a record anyway, and this is not the case when I was young. I got way better at this as I got more varied influences, is that like I'm not going to get too assuaded by the latest trend. I'm going to get... Right. It's going to be my anchor of going like, we're listening to this record too much. Like, oh, I don't have enough symbols in the mix. And, like, the symbols and excitement is, like, what would make this better by hearing another record that's similar to it. See, what I learned about not music to listening to any music at all was that it's really difficult. Mm. Like, everywhere you go, music is playing. Like, you walk out of the street, somebody's got it blasting out of their car. You walk by the deli, they're playing it in the grocery store. Like, everywhere you go, music is going on. Mm-hmm. Like and including in your own home. So to like, to, to actually stop listening to music is really difficult, but I found that if you can get through about three days of that like sort of audio deprivation, mm-hmm. your own music sort of starts to like come to the surface a little bit. See, the, this so. is the interesting thing is that like, I think a lot of people have trouble that everything they write is too derivative. So you find if you go on a fasting of other people's music, you get something that's more genuine. New. Yeah. Huh. Totally. Um, not easy to do, but very very worth it. And like, um, a good writer's block trick too. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, um, stop stop all the sensory input if you can, because we just get bombarded with it daily by mm-hmm. like a ton mm-hmm. of sensory input. And if you can sort of put yourself in like a a deprivation tank, as it were, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. eventually that writer's block will will break. Don't you think, though, for that to break, you have to have had a good amount of inspiration, though, in the past? Like, I think that there's, like, a thing with writer's block is that, like, it's almost like talking about, like, when you have a cough. A cough could be, like, five different things, and for some people, the writer's block is, like, they haven't been inspired by anything. They're kind of, like, not excited by anything, and they don't know, or they changed so much from the last time they wrote anything that they're like, why doesn't this feel the same? And it's really that they just feel such a different way than the last time they wrote and they cannot identify it. So are you more saying, like, your most common writer's block is, like, needing to get something that's not derivative? I don't get writer's block. Oh, you don't? No. I don't think I've ever had writer's block. Wow. Yeah. But then again, I'm not the kind of person who tries to write. Like, I don't yes. I don't have a deadline on a book where mm-hmm. I'm like, fuck, i got to write 10,000 words today. Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah. when, that's when I'd come up against writer's block, most likely, right? Because, uh-huh. like, something has to be done. And now the ideas are all, you know, they've flown the coop because I just, I, you know, now I'm under pressure. Mm-hmm. Right? So I'm sort of lucky in that, in that sense, you know? But um, I, don't, I don't know, like, uh, the... I know there's a, like a lot of different tricks you can use to deal with writer's block, but um, if you, I know that if you like, if you sit with an idea and you like, it, it will alchemize and turn mm-hmm. into to something else. You know what I mean? So um, if you're like uh, trying to get rid of all your, all your like listening to music and like you change your environment and all that stuff, I think. I mean, everybody's different, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chances are something's going to come I to I think you. that there is this thing that, like, this is the way you get out of it when you feel like everything you're doing is too derivative or you're not happy as sometimes is, like, you do have to... Like, I think sometimes you have to feed the cold and sometimes you have to start the cold. Right. 
Um, I always confuse those two. I could never remember which one was which. Because you know what it is that the, there's no real. There's thing no right it. way. Right. Like like it's different ones, and we and like if you're not a medical expert, you don't know which one to do. You just gotta listen to your body. Yeah, right. I, that's what I do too. Is right, it's right. like if I'm really hungry, I just fucking eat, which is really that cold. And if right. I can't eat, then I know it's the start of the cold one. Right. And yeah. It, it, it is that thing. My last, my last one was definitely uh, the star, but I don't think I ate for four days. So, somebody told me once, like when I was sick, like if it if it sounds good, it probably is good. Mm. And I think that thing for that same philosophy probably applies to, like writing writing music and writer's block. You know. Yes. Like. Well, I I, I think it's just like also the thing of like so like. So many times, too, what people have with writer's block is, like, they change as a person. And so that, I think this is, like, another thing with you is, like, you write, you have political songs, you have really personal songs, you have all these things. And I think some people get stuck in a thing of, like, this is the thing I write about. Like, I'm, like, you know, so many people love to, I don't do love songs. Right. And right, right. I think people don't always trust their emotion that, like, this is what I need to get out of me. And we all are complex emotional people. I mean, most of us are, I should say. Um, and yeah, they, most of you are. Yeah, <laughs> yeah yes. Uh, they, 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 they get monotone about what they will express. Whereas you right. are expressing tons and tons of Yeah, but of I don't release those love songs to the world. <laughs> you know we have mean? some love songs on the... No. Those are, there's no love songs, I don't think. I feel like on... Uh, Oh no! There was there was one that yeah. was kind of like the the uh, my Marielle song, right? The Marielle, and then I thought the part December, in December is kind of like. No, that's that's a childhood story about how horrible my fucked up parents were. <laughs> okay, well, that, yeah. there's lyrical reinterpretation. Um, no, I don't. I I will write love songs, but I give them directly to the person that I wrote them for. Mm. I don't put them out. Interesting. I think I think songs are like, like a get like they're like they make great gifts. You know mm. what I mean? It's true. It really is true. So, like, sometimes instead of, like, getting somebody a fucking, you know, a, a sweater for Christmas or something, I'll just write them a song. It's pretty cool. It, well, you know, it's, it's easy and I can do it. And it's like, how many people do you know can write a song? And, like, how I, nobody's ever written me a song. You know what I mean? I, I, one, guy, one guy I worked with uh, wrote, wrote me a theme song. Really? Um, really? That's, that's amazing. It's pretty funny. but it's Brian Alien wrote me a song once, actually. Oh, actually, yeah, I can yeah, see yeah, that. I can yeah. see that. <laughs> it's funny, though, because I'm going out with this girl. And we've been mm -hmm. we've been um, going out for a few years now. Mm -hmm. And this girl's like, she, she, okay, first of all, just let me preface this by saying she's a mortician. Yeah, I remember right? this. Yeah, yeah. So she is a stone wall. I cannot get through to this girl. She, like, she, she's emotionally callous she is what is, we might say. Yeah, I don't even know how to describe her. I'm just like, she is just, I've never seen her break down or cry or anything. Mm -hmm. She's just like, and she doesn't understand music. That's the huh. one that, Yeah, like, so I like, music is one thing I'm really good at and it's a huge part of my identity, right? Yeah, so totally. Like, so like, um, you know, I'll like write her a song or something and I'll like play it for her at the piano. Like, just for you, baby. Mm -hmm. Like, here it is, you know? And I'll just get like, oh, that's really nice. <laughs> like, really? That's all you're going to give me? That's nice? Oh, Come man. on. Like, like, anything's better than that's nice. Oh, you know? that's funny. Like, how many people in the world do you think can write songs? How many people have written you specifically a song mm -hmm. and played it for you in person? 
Nobody's ever done that for me. And yeah, all I'm getting yeah. is like, that's really nice. Oh, man. I can't something. get anything out of her, man. It's brutal. Well, you know, sometimes the challenge is some of the best part yeah. of love. No, no, so. well, that's the thing. Is like, I, I've made it my goal to make her break down. Like, I'm, gonna, uh, 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 oh. I'm, gonna fucking, I'm gonna write a song that you're gonna have to cry. Like, it's gonna be so good, baby. Don't worry. You just you hang in there another year. I'll, I'll have it written. Yeah? That's yeah. That's my new. That's my new year's resolution. Well, now now we know what to expect. Yes. Yeah. So, the the cat's out of the bag that you have solo stuff done. Do. Um. Don't know what to do with it. Don't know what to do with it. Let's talk first about war songs, why there was post-war songs, and then why there's solo stuff. Okay, that's easy. Mm-hmm. Um, the post-war songs, we recorded, like, what, 26, 25 songs? We like recorded, that? I think, yeah, 26 songs uh, when we did that session. Um, I really wanted to release two records um, using all 26 songs or something. Um, and so I, most of these were all written post-poets? yeah. Um, yep, and a lot of them we were writing as we were going along, and, mm-hmm. um, it was a really fun process for me. The record label didn't want to release a second record. Um, <laughs> they told me, they told me they had a really busy fall. Mm. I was like, all right, I know what that means. That's, that's code, that's code. <laughs> that, is, that is code for... Fuck you. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to release your next record because your first record hasn't recouped yet. Mm-hmm. Is basically what that means. Which is fine. I totally understand. Yeah. I'm not pissed off in any way. Yeah. Um, but I did still want to put the record out. Yeah. So we took uh, like, you know, seven, six of the remaining songs. Was it eight? I don't remember. I think it was eight. Eight? We took the eight other remaining songs and uh, had uh, a buddy of ours, Ryan, from that band Off With Our Heads, mm-hmm. um, release it on his label in conjunction with uh, Heavy Metal Chris's record label. Um, so it was like a dual kind of release. Yes. I just wanted it to come out, you know? Yeah, totally. And like, um, they they both wanted to, to put it out, so we did. And uh, I think there's like, we got two, one or two songs still left over from those sessions. Um, there's, there's B-sides from Poets that I want to come out too. Right? Yeah, yeah, they'll probably never come out. They're, <laughs> they're not really good enough, you know? I, I see. It's so funny to me because I I liked them all, but I'm also an easy one to please with your songwriting. So, yeah, I guess like um, I would I would say like most of the time the songs that uh most most of the time songs that I write and track come out the way that I want them to. But every once in a while you get one that's just like this is not even in the ballpark yeah. of what I was originally thinking it would be like. You know, sometimes you're pleasantly surprised, and mm-hmm. sometimes you're unpleasantly surprised. And- it's one of these things I've been saying, too, of, like, um, so I've been making, like, this script for this video I want to do of, like, how you do, I don't want to say proper is not the word, but, like, it's kind of like even, like, the Rick Rubin method of, like, that you write 40 songs that are verses and choruses, then you take 20 of them and you figure out syncopation, little nuances, bridges, full song structures. Right. You take 20. Then you take 15 of those songs and you actually record them and three of them aren't going to come out as good and you toss those three right. into a 12-song record. Right, right. Which is <coughs> which is what happened in the case of my solo stuff was I discovered that um, 
it's a lot harder to write a really good stripped down acoustic guitar or piano song and have it stand on its own and be good without all the other extra instrumentation behind it. And like, I would say I was averaging like half the, I think I wrote like, you know, 25, 30, 40 songs or something mm -hmm. at first tracked like, uh, you know, tried tracking 20 of them or something that got down to like 15. By the time I put the vocals on, it was more down to like 10 that were like actually coming out properly, you know? So out mm -hmm. of like 30 or 40 songs, you get 10 good ones, you know what I mean? It's a lot harder when you're doing it as a solo artist um, without a without a band and all that. So I wonder if it's some of that though too is, you're very good at coming out up with unique textures and things that feel emotionally right in a song that a lot of people are like, I don't know how they did that. Do you think taking away that tool from your chest is just a little hard for you? It was it was a very new process. Mm -hmm. um, definitely wasn't used to the hearing it so raw and stripped down. Um, and yes, without those extra tools that I can use as like spices, mm -hmm. you know, um, I was like, okay, what am I going to do with this bridge? You know what I mean? It, Get it it's... bust out a kalimba? <laughs> <you know>? <laughs> <laughs> like... <laughs> There's only so much, like, you, the songs have to be fucking great if mm -hmm. they're going to just be just songs like that, you know? Um, it's like one of the analogies I make in my new book is it's like that thing of, like, if you want to be a really great punk artist, you can just have a lot of heart and a lot of emotion, and the songwriting can find a, call and fall right. by the waysides at times. Right. If you want to be a minimal techno musician or you want to be a folk artist, you better have the best songs because there's nothing yeah. to back you up. Except for totally. your, your texture of your guitar, so you better get a great sounding acoustic guitar. Your voice better be in great shape, and you better yeah. write a hell of a song. And you've got to be flawless as a musician too. Yeah, like you can't fuck it up. And that's one thing I learned about piano too. Is like, um, if you fuck up a note on the piano, it's like everybody's gonna know mm -hmm. and notice that and go be like, ooh, that's terrible, you know. But if you fuck up on a note on the guitar, you <laughs> just, just make the same fuck up. And yeah. a verse later, and everybody thinks you did it on purpose. <laughs> you know what I mean? I know. You remember, like, I can remember you and I, and I always go back to this of, like, another one of those things to try to perfect things is the noises between uh, the guitar notes and the whole world's watching on. Uh, like the uh, like uh, the, the right hand string. Yeah, like you would make the sounds. noise between right. it, between yeah, yeah. it, and I'm like, oh, we gotta get rid of that. And you're like, no, that's the best. Part. Oh right, that's like, right, right. You're like, I, I love that sound. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was like, oh god, this is too bad. And then what we finally figured out is we just needed to turn the gain down in the mess of the right. a little bit, and then it right, wasn't right. so grating. But like, that's right. I always took that as like the lesson of like, well, you repeat the fuck up, it's actually style. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, that was one of my first lessons, and was like. Wow, that guy really fucked that part up. Oh, wait, here it comes again. Oh, he did it again. He must have done it on, on <laughs> yes. purpose, you know? It's like, that's brilliant. I'm going to use that. But you can't do that with a piano. It's like if you hit a bum note on a piano, it's like, that's... It is know. true. It, it stands out it a stands lot more. It stands out, man. It and stands it, out. And that's why yeah. we love MIDI editing. <laughs> right. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, all right, let, let's get into some stuff with your influence, because I, 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 I have over the years seen interviews with you I, I don't think people always okay. get into some of what makes you tick it's true um what's the music that you like that people would be most shocked by um 
people will be most shocked by the fact that I'm really into um, some kinds of uh, EDM. Mm-hmm. Uh, I particularly, I, I like like I re- I just I like the sounds that people are inventing. Mm-hmm. It's it's that's one of my favorite things to listen to. It's just the 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 sheer violence of what electronic music is doing mm-hmm. right now. It just blows my mind, and uh, I also like the fact that electronic music is the only genre of music where there are really no rules. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like punk rock is a very restricting genre to me because it's so militant, and you have to fall in order for it to be acceptable punk rock. It has to fall within all these boundaries. In like electronic music, you could do fucking anything, it really and it would true. still be electronic music, and people wouldn't fucking blast your head off. You know? Well, like, you know what's funny though, because like you do get into the thing. I like I, I actually will push back on this a little. I think it's that thing of like because we're not in the electronic scene. So I think about that Porter Robinson World's record, right? Of like everybody thought he was going to invent this new genre. The uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, would it be like orchestral. Well, though, before Worlds came out, like everybody was saying, like he's, uh, uh, oh God, I can't think of what it was, but it was like glitch electro or something dumb was like his new genre. He's the one inventing this, and um, then he comes out with Worlds, and it's a total left turn from any song he's put out before, and it's like heavily ME three and was from Spitfire. Yeah, from Spitfire, and then there's that one song in between. Um, on on uh, world, you just no. He put out a single in okay. between Spitfire okay. and gotcha. that, and like so. Then Worlds comes out and it sounds nothing like Spitfire or that song, right? And <clears throat> fans are pissed, and like I think that's the thing that like a lot of musicians get scared of when they're doing this thing is that like the your immediate surroundings are usually your scene like obviously like we go to punk shows we have punk friends and like their reactions to this it seems very intense to us because we're around these people and we have to read their fucking stupid comments on the internet but to the world as a whole it's totally cool if you just do something that's good and poor robinson i think changed who he was like when he changed i i should say this he made the music he wants to hear and he now changed like where people see him in the music landscape. Is he's not just an EDM artist; he's somebody who's doing bigger things. And I think bands get often get scared of this thing. And it's funny because you're, you're not, you know, like I think of Suicide Salad on the new record, and it's like, you know, um, no guitar, basses right. as the main Bass instrument, drums. and yeah. then keyboards, right? Um, for little spices, yeah, and. It still has punk attitude for sure. I mean, I think of anything that yeah. has a song has more punk attitude than most songs. Um, but I wonder if, like, sometimes we just get scared of what our immediate surrounding is, and that's what. Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, it's true. I I don't know anything about electronic music, mm-hmm. um, so you could be right about that. Like, maybe within the genre of electronic music, people have a whole set of rules and boundaries. Just from my forty-year-old yeah. <laughs> perspective, well, that's of the thing. You and I, are, we're not going to raves every weekend right, and discussing yeah. it with kids. No, I listen to it in the privacy yeah. of my bedroom. Yeah, like, I where I think, but other people can't see me or judge me. Yeah, we're, 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 it's, <laughs> that's like, that's like our, 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 our you and I is something we share in common. Yeah. Like, we listen to this stuff and it's yeah. like I love it, but uh, I keep it to myself. Yeah, like you, I don't you tell were, people. You were one of the only other people I go when I hear a yeah. good, good, good electronic. 
Sonic record. I'm like, oh, did you hear this? Yeah, no, and I and I will hear it, and you I'll know. listen to it, and I'll probably love it or mm-hmm. hate it, mm-hmm. but I won't tell anybody about it because yep. you know, I'm 40, and I'm <laughs> nobody who's 40 should be listening to electronic. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oops. At least not in public. Yes, yes. In fact, nobody over the age of 14 should really be at a rave <laughs> with a fucking Twizzlers in their hands. You know what I mean? But I really, really enjoy like the sounds that they're they're coming up with, and the mastering. I'm always interested to hear yeah. what they're doing with it because. You know, it's pretty much like it seems to me. Like I don't, I don't know for sure, but it seems like it's really at the cutting edge of like what's going on with like uh, recording technology. No, I think I think you you know it's an interesting thing in that people really get mad at me like when I say this all the time. But like, you know, they say like um, in technology, porn is usually like a lot of where innovation comes from. Like they figure out how to do checkout cards, how to do subscription services, most. Electronic is where most of the innovation and marketing right. and who's using influential plugins and using influential techniques, it's all in electronic and it's, music. And it's, isn't it because, like, guys who are, like, DJs are also, like, songwriters and producers? They're mm-hmm. sort of all wrapped up into mm-hmm. a... It's like a one-man band. Uh-huh. It's like the, the techies that are creating the software are also writing the songs and applying it to their own music. Well, you also think of this way. Their only creative outlet is when they're sitting in front of a laptop... Right. to do something so inherently the technology is sitting right there whereas if you want to be creative you can sit at a piano you can sit at a guitar these people like their only way to do things is when it's in front of technology so inherently they're going to be there to push it and understand it more I just love that it's, it's always breaking the rules like I've been listening to like Tiesto yeah, yeah, yeah right yeah. so like this guy's got songs where the the melodies isn't even words mm-hmm. it's just like bits of vowels that are like stuck in and made into a melody yeah like who would have known that you yeah. could write a song with vocals without any words in it it's it's, it's unbelievable to me yeah i mean it's it's funny because like yeah and it's what's even funnier is he's been doing that for years and it's like Probably, yeah and no one else is really doing it the way he does it. i mean there's imitators obviously right but, but no one's doing it well the way he does it still yeah yeah i've been really enjoying that that record a lot this is the newest uh, tiesto yeah, I think so. Probably. I haven't listened to that one. I don't know. Out. It's just on whatever's yeah. on Spotify. There, it's all like he's probably only got one record that's remixed like into three different records. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, well, you know, he is he is king of the Guidos. Is he really? Oh yeah, I don't know. Like you know, like Tiesto. Mexican. Well, no. So Tiesto's like main following is like Snooky from Jersey Shore. Oh God. It's now, I know. Now I feel horrible that I said that I liked it. Listen, this is the thing oh. I've come come to know is that there's tons of people with shameful. Uh, fan bases like you know it's like the, the, the best joke is like uh, somebody would say this about like Bernie Sanders recently like love the guy hate the fans Radiohead love, true. love the guys hate the fans it's true if I never yeah. I would say if, if I never listened to a band because of their audience I wouldn't like any bands at all yeah you that's a I mean? great point it's like there's not there's not one band in the world where I don't hate somebody who likes their music I, I, it's, it's, it's usually I the majority. Base my judgment of the band by the people that go to the shows. Well, I don't go to shows anymore. Yeah, and I, I even have that thing of like, even when I'm at a band a band show, like when I'm like, um, all right, this is my people. You get there and you're like, oh man. Yeah. What, what was it? yeah. I don't want to go anywhere yeah. near that person. Like, am I really here? What am I doing? Here? <laughs> yeah, like, okay, yeah. like it's very rare I get to go to a show and be like, these are my people. Yeah. No, I don't. I definitely don't do that anymore. <laughs> I don't know if I ever did that, but I've always just sort of been in it for the music, you know. So you're saying you rarely really go to shows? No, I go to shows a lot, but mm, it's, pretty, it's pretty rare when I when I'm like uh, they're clicked up with my boys or something. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's like I'll go to a show alone. 
try to enjoy the music as best I can, and then drag my 40-year-old ass home. Oh, yes, yes. Go to bed and get up and go to work the next day. I know. I, know I, I've like, been having that thing of, like, lately, like, where it's like, oh, Midnight Show? I'm like, oh, Midnight Show. Yeah. I was so excited about that two years ago. Yeah, it's like, if it's not within a 10-block radius of my house, the odds, <laughs> the odds of me going after midnight just go down, like, yeah. 30% or something, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I'm lucky uh, St. Vitus is a 10-minute bike ride, or right, else that'd be, right. that'd be the the end for me. Yeah. No, I still love shows, and I love going to shows, and I love um, experiencing live music. Mm-hmm. Live live music is like, I really love live records. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I love seeing, I love YouTube, because like, there's so much stuff, there's so much live stuff now on YouTube yes. that you can just watch and enjoy. And I love analyzing it and picking it apart and learning stuff from it and like why did they do this and Mm -hmm. how come they're doing that there and i'm trying to figure out like these bands use all these like backing tracks now so yes i've got my metronome out you know i'm like trying to figure out how they're doing it and stuff you know Mm -hmm. like i don't know i just it's a whole new form of like i made this argument the other day too with with somebody who was like you know well that's like you know all these bands are like playing the backup tracks now you know they're playing like 10 of their own vocals and like it's true, that's true, but like that in itself is sort of a whole new form of art. You know what I mean? Like, if it's done well, it can be. Yeah, yeah. to do that well and mm-hmm. not fuck it up must just take so much practice and time and thought, you know? Like, I, I mean, I, I can it, see both sides of the coin, is all I'm saying, you know? Like, yeah, I, I think it's if it's like, tasteful, it can be a thing. There's a thing, too, of like where it's just like, you know, people wouldn't to crutch it's bad when right. it's tasteful and to enhance some quick little elements of it, it can be fucking awesome. Yeah. I mean, I'm not into the, like, the live pitch correct thing. Yes. Which I think is bullshit. Mm-hmm. But I do, I do find it interesting when a band can pull off, like, like that band 21 Pilots. Uh-huh. You know? Like, uh, it's just a drummer and a singer. Yeah. piano, you know? Mm-hmm. But, like, they, they trigger all the rest of their sounds mm-hmm. or they're playing along to a track or something, you know? I think it's they're like, playing to a track. I haven't, yeah. I always say about them, they're, they were, um, the band that made first band that made me feel old because I'm like I just can't oh, really? get I can't yeah, get yeah. it I can't understand it. Yeah, um, they actually played at iHeart and that's how I um, sort of got into them. They do that thing where they put the, the drum riser on the crowd, which I think is. Oh amazing. yeah, that is yeah. fucking rad. That's I've seen cool. them do that. Yeah. So um, let's get into five records that shaped who you were, ooh, or who you are, not ooh. who you were. Um. Let's see. I know it's cliche, but I gotta pick a Beatles record. Mm-hmm. Uh, which would it's be fine. Which I mean, would it's Abbey the truth. Road. Abbey Road, really? Yeah. I didn't take you as an Abbey Road guy. No, I was never really into the White Album because it was too scattered. I figured you would be a like ru- ru- Revolver Rubber Soul Sergeants. Um, I did like those records, but uh, I liked the storytelling of mm. the second side of Abbey Road. Hmm. To me, that was like, and I liked the way it flowed together, and they had um, the reprises where they'd bring in. Uh, riffs from earlier on and, mm-hmm. and like you know make them into new songs yes so it was like reading a book you know mm-hmm. it's like they're bringing back an old character they're making a conclusion they got a beginning a middle and an end it was like to me that was you know I liked that one for that for that reason you know and that nice. was def- that was definitely influential on me um, definitely in my top five is Rain and Blood Slayer oh, yeah. right um, and you guys got to work with somebody who did a bunch of Slayer art recently that's right matt, matt curtis mm-hmm. yeah he did he did uh he did the war psalms record art mm-hmm. he also designed the uh, i think it was the eagle the nazi looking eagle slayer yeah. logo right um 
And uh, he's an amazing artist. He was great. Super nice guy, too. Did it for a song. Um, yeah, so that would be... In that. I loved that record because it was like... It was 30 minutes on a cassette. And when it got to the end of the 30 minutes, it would flip over and repeat the record. Yeah. <laughs> I thought was brilliant. It, it, it's so you funny because like, there's only like a handful of records I could think of did that on cassette back then yeah. like, when we were young. And that was like, that's always the one that stands out because like, all the other ones were like total duds, like Cinderella. Right, right. <laughs> like, oh, cool. No, and it would like, you know, the album would end halfway through and the tape would flip over and you hear the second half. That one yeah. was just like, here's the record. It's fucking 28 minutes of th the best thrash you ever heard. Mm -hmm. And you're going to hear it again now. Yep. You know? And usually you'd stick around for at yeah. least a few songs. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Um, other records. God, there's so many. I don't even... I mean, just, just spit them out. Yeah. I think I mentioned Justice because of the uh, because of the way it was mixed, mm -hmm. you know? Which yeah. Which is still a mystery to me how they did yeah. that. Yeah. There's very few records that, that stump me. That record stumps me. There's a record by a band called Iron Age. Mm -hmm. from Austin, Texas. And from what I know, they never got big or anything, but they mm -hmm. put out one amazing record called uh, The Sleeping Eye of the Watcher that I just love. Mm. It was like, they started out as a hardcore band, which I hate hardcore. Mm -hmm. um, but then they sort of turned into like a more like metal, like dirgy, dirgy metal. Um, and that that was an amazing ride. It was, it was about as close to Slayer as you could get. Hmm. Um, and they they were never big or anything. That's yeah, what yeah. blows my mind. They just... Well, I think every one of us has like that one record yeah. of the band that never yeah. got big, but that yeah. was like super formative to us. Yeah, um, yeah, totally. That one was great. Um, then like uh, you know, if you're gonna talk about like other genres like uh, hip hop, I was really into like Grave Diggers mm -hmm. and um, like uh, I, I really liked the early Outcast stuff, like Aquamanine, and Ace yeah. Aliens. And we watched that uh, documentary on Netflix about the uh, Art of Noise. No, I haven't seen that yet. It's it's good. Yeah. It's not it? great. It's good. It's definitely like there's some great shots in it of like how they were doing that stuff, and you're like, oh my god, I can't believe they made records in this environment. Oh yeah, yeah. I think I did see some of that. They're like they're yeah. in like a they're basement in, yes. in like the hood. It's yes, just I like did see part of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't know. This uh, there's there's just so many of them. I love some of the Turbo Negro records. Oh yeah. Like as far as like new music that's out right now goes, I thought the first Jake Bug debut oh, yeah. album. You turned me onto that. Yeah. Was fucking, this is like one of my favorite records to come out in the last two years. It's just like super stripped down. One of the one of those songs he recorded on his iPhone. Yeah, that's and right. They, they put it out like that. Yep. Like, this is this is perfect. We're going to release this just the way it is. Yep. If you can like sing and play a song into your fucking iPhone and have that be like studio quality. Yeah. Not only is that a testament to where we at as far as like recording yeah. like, <laughs> like equipment goes, but it's also like it says something about public's taste, you know? Which, well, I I think it's just that thing of like he's got that emotional alignment like when he plays it, it's like sometimes the emotion's just there and that's yeah. what you go with. Yeah, the, the kid's got it, man. He's amazing. Yeah. Um, he was another high heart guy, actually. Met yeah. Metric. I love yep. Metric. I think I love Great their entire band. catalog from... Wow. All the way from the beginning. They started out like a punk band, sort of. I didn't like the second to last record. Uh, Synthetica. Synthetica. You didn't like that one? So, it grew on me. That's that's that. There's something about that record that feels like it's missing, and I haven't placed it. Usually it usually takes me like a year or Did two you sometimes. Hear the, to... uh, acoustic 
version that they did of it? I didn't. Maybe that's what I'll do today. They, yeah, they did that like uh, Manchester Orchestra kind of uh-huh. thing, where they like redid the record all nice. acoustic, and it's really really well done. Speaking of Man- Manchester Orchestra, yeah. great, yep. great couple Revenge. records right there. That last record wasn't mixed right, but you know. It's, that's funny. Like so, I I like it, and then I'd like to hear it a different way. You're talking about uh, Cope. Cope. Yeah. Which was the electric version. Yes. yes. I like the way that sounds, but I would also love to have heard if it wasn't mixed. You didn't that way. think the drums were too quiet? There's like a thing to it that I'm like, as I got into it, I was like, you know what, this feels good. I think it was just jarring. You know what the thing is? I always want to hear them record the way mean nothing to everything or whatever the record's called right. is. Like I want to hear them recorded that way, but like that's not what you need to ask of bands. Like you need to ask that's them funny. to reinvent. I thought you would have complained endlessly about the drums being too low. Because hmm. like I, I like I'll play that record for like guitar heads that I know, and they're yeah. just like, "This is awesome! Guitars are like..." Well, I mix balls. guitars loud though. That's always the thing. But you find room for the drums, though. Yeah, too. I mean, but without squeezing them out. But if like if you pull, if I went through my emails and see like the first mix revision comment is guitars are too high is the number one complaint I get about my mixes. Right. So Um, that might be the really for you. Yeah, that's 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 I can say over and over and over again. I'm surprised musicians ever complain about that unless they're the drummer or the singer. So you know why I think um, a lot of people sometimes complain about it is too is that they're while we think of ego, there's always like this double edged sword of each each musician is that also they don't want to be heard that much and they're like I like Ah, our drummer. That's interesting. And like I never thought of that. Yeah, like you you know it's like it's been the funny thing about writing a book about creativity is that for every Everybody's, um, for every symptom, there's an ailment that's also the poison or the thing. Like, it's just, like, you know, like, it was a perfect example. It's like, you know, you know, you give advice of like, so I've been having to write a lot about like collaboration and like, um, you know, you, you talk about democracy. It's like, well, democracy gets ruined when there's three guys who hate the singer, but the singer is the one with all the good ideas, and they're just shutting them down all the time. <laughs> and it's like figuring out how to make a group dynamic work and make these creative decisions. There's always that double-edged sword. Yeah, I guess so. I never really so, thought of it that way. Like, yeah, like I, I always say it's too. It's like if you get a record with quiet vocals where they want the vocal mixed in there, like two of those records are going to be... Um, people who just hate the way the singers sound, right. and then two of those records are gonna be are gonna be yeah. a singer who hates himself the right. way he sounds. Like you need to get a new singer, mate. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's just. It's I just, got a, I got a solution to your problem. <laughs> get a new fucking singer. Yeah. But the, like, it's never the same one. It's just like it's a symptom of something else, or it's even just a singer who like they like. I want the music to be really powerful. Right. Um. One thing I learned about sit, uh, after sitting in on fucking hundreds, if not thousands of hours watching you mix <laughs> was that one dB oh, yeah. is an f- extremely significant amount yep. of loudness. People, when they first get into especially if they were doing home recording on a computer, they if a mix isn't optimized for volume, they're like, turn that up 4 dB. I'm like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's what so, I so, Yeah, yeah. Like, I, yeah. I just don't say anything because, like, I'm just like, all right, I'll turn... If you want 4 dB, I'm going to turn it up one and a half dB. Yeah. Okay. Maybe a dB. Because it's like, I almost feel like on those old, like, everybody started out on the Tascam cassette yeah. thing, right? It's like... Yeah, in knob, our generation, at least. The knobs yeah. on that thing were just like, you know, you had to crank it, like, you know... Yeah. Well, a, lo- a, long, a long way. If you're not mixing but, into mastering or compression... 
big DB sweeps are a very big thing when recordings are unclear. But when recording is clear, a DB is the difference between a right. little bit not clear and a little bit clear. So it becomes a thing of like and like they they always say that like, you know if you blind test somebody that they can't hear a half a DB of difference. But like right, I've right, tended right. to. I tend to think that if you're in a really clear, compressed environment, that there's no way you can't not hear a half a dB of difference. Right. Even if you're really incompetent. Like, somebody, you know, the old uh, sexist thing is the girlfriend can hear it, or as I like to say, the significant other can hear it, since I'm right, so right, progressive. Right. But, like, I think there's truth to that, that, like, you can hear the most minuscule things if you are paying attention and if the recording is really optimized. Yeah, you can definitely tell the difference. Yeah. And you and you get better at it with practice. You it's get like you get better at it with practice, and then the other thing is is are you listening on something that can show it? Like a laptop doesn't show those subtleties. Right. That's right, that's right. a big problem too. Is that most people are evaluating their mixes on a laptop, and I think there is good to come from it because most way people listen to it is a laptop's a good check. But if you're like if you're really going for subtlety, you need something more than a laptop. Huh. That's interesting. I definitely, it's, yeah, it's something, like, if I, if I go out on tour, I can, I, I can get close to perfect pitch, mm-hmm. but that goes away after a few months. So, what's interesting is, is they, so they talk about how listening is one of the worst memories we have. We really? have really bad listening memories, whereas a smell is most hallucinatory sense. So, like, you, it's way easier to hallucinate smells that don't exist than any other sense. Really? You don't have that. You never. You never hallucinate smells. I, I hallucinate smells all the time. You know what that's called? Synesthesia. Synesthesia. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um. So I, I like. There is this thing of that you have to get in a good practice of communicate or hearing what that pitch is over and over and over again, right. and it, it will slip. I always find that if I'm doing vocals more often, my pitch gets thing. But if like I've been mixing records for two months. And I go to do a vocal, it's like, oh, fuck. This is not going to be pretty. Right, right, right. Huh. It's interesting. I wonder if I can get it. <laughs> no, let's see if I can. It's been a while. You guys ha- haven't been playing. No. No, we haven't. Thing coming up, though. Where's my... There we go. So I think C is a... C, right? Mm-hmm. I'm half a step yeah. off. Yeah, just, but that's yeah. still close. Yeah. That's a lot better than I would do. Yeah. If, I've been, right. if I've been out on the road, I can do it, like, you know, I can get it first time. But wow. after a few months, it, you know, that part of your brain just leaves, you know? So, give, a, so give, a, give me what you've been listening to lately. No, you don't want to hear that. That's so boring, man. I do. Really? It is, because I think it's always interesting. I'm always embarrassed by, like, people are like... Really? What's that dude doing listening to Because you know what it is, though? Is, think about when we were young, and we're looking up to people whose music we like. It teaches you not to be narrow, not to be things like this. Like Yeah, I, I mean, if that's the lesson, you'll definitely get it from me. <laughs> it's like, I can pretty much find, I'll say this about it, like, I can almost find always one band in every genre that I think are decent. Yeah, and yeah. I, I always say it's like um, I'm interested in who's doing the best thing yeah. at the time. And I also don't think genres are always producing good stuff. Like I think there's certain years where a genre just doesn't produce very there's good. There's only stuff. one genre on this planet that there's fucking nothing good going on. It's fucking blues. 
I hate the blues too, but if I have to hear Creedence Clearwater Revival one more see, time, see, that's I'm funny. Fucking go out and kill somebody. I hate the blues. I actually kind of like Creedence. Really? Oh, I think yeah. I, I heard it enough as a kid that it was like a thing. But yeah, I think that's probably why I don't like it. Mm. They were playing it on when I was in Spain recently. I was just like, I went off like the Big Lebowski, <laughs> <laughs> like he does on the Eagles, you know? Yeah. Like, fucking Eagles, man. fucking CCR. I I see. I, I have to hear "Can't Stand the Rain" or whatever one more time. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's gonna get murdered. I, yeah. I I I have that with Billy Joel. Billy Joel is really? my like, and like the bar that I go to, like two blocks from here, they play a lot of Billy Joel, and it like literally drives me right out. See, this is what's interesting about music is that you probably feel that way because of some sort of association. It's right? because it's because my best friend growing up sister would force us to listen to Billy right. Joel in the there car on the way to guitar lessons. Yeah, it was fucking terrible. It's like if we were all just birthed into this world like this minute, I'd probably like every kind of music there was on the planet. Uh huh. You know? But it's because I have all these. Like, albums are, like, essentially, that's really what they are. They're photo albums mm-hmm. of, like, they're moments in time. They're snapshots, snapshots of time. And you, you attach these, like, memories to these these bands or these songs, and then for some reason you either love them or hate them, depending on how good the memory was. You know what I mean? That's really good, and I'm going to let you skate the question because you did such a good job Thank with that. That's, that's a great way to end Got it. Out. Got <laughs> out of it. People don't want to know what I'm listening to. Man. It's, it's not. It's boring. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Off The Record. If you enjoy the show, the best way to say thank you is to share this episode on social media, whether it's your Twitter, your Facebook, your Tumblr, your whatever, and just tell your friends. We just want the word to spread. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, it's at OffTheRecordFM. You can get show notes, explore old episodes at OffTheRecord.FM. If you think we should be talking about something, please let us know with the hashtag TellOTR on Twitter or ask us via Tumblr at OffTheRecord.FM. This episode was produced by Jesse Cannon and Ashley Aaron. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week.